Howdy folks, Rob Noxious, Junk Noxious, back again. Today, we're going to be talking about the superiority of culture. What makes a culture superior? Largely, it is a culture that largely remains unchanged generation after generation because there's no need to change it. That's step one. Step two is that culture prohibit pro projects. Sorry. It prohibits bad behavior and projects good behavior. Meaning that if you project good behavior from yourself, you are rewarded in the society. And uh, adventing bad behavior encourages you to be punished. These cultures typically become world powers. So let's look at the cultures that were superior in their time. The Persians and the Greeks in antiquity, along with Egypt, all of them espoused the greatness of humankind while also espousing the worst. But then at the end of the day, the Greeks <clears throat> were heavily invested in what they called philosophia, or the love of wisdom. The Egyptians were obsessed with the power of public works as well as the power of trading and military might. And the Persians were more concerned with just military might. Their philosophy is inferior to the Greeks, but the Greeks' military power was inferior to the Persians. And the Egyptians' military power is inferior to the Persians, but the Persians' trading power is inferior to that of the Egyptians. No one had figured out yet how to combine them all. Fast forward about 200 years, the Romans, after severe difficulty conquering Italia, expanding into Spain, fighting their main rival Carthage, and then eventually conquering both the Greeks and the Egyptians, established an empire. And although the Persians will always be a thorn in the side of the Romans, they never achieved anything close to the Romans. And so the Romans ruled the Mediterranean For 400 years after this empire was founded, with their only threats being uncivilized barbarians on their northern border and half-wits to their east, the Persians, when an embassy to Rome of the Chinese, the Qin, Q-I-N, the Romans sent another embassy back. And the Chinese labeled them the Undun, named after the Antonines, either Antoninus or Marcus Aurelius Antoninus. And the Chinese, the Qin, labeled them 
Dakim, meaning Great China, which can be translated as the Chinese seeing the Romans as their equals. Of course, out in the East, the Chinese at the time were another great power. Why? Because they had begun to adopt the Confucian ideology of restraint when necessary and aggression when necessary. Balance. The Tao. Which he had learned. But they'd also learned law and order. And these two nations, the Chinese and the Romans, were their far superior civilizations in this time period. The closest approximation would be the Mayans, but the Mayans never achieved the total control the Romans did, nor the Chinese. So we'll fast forward a couple hundred years. The Chinese have broken, gotten back together again. It's, it's like Ross and Rachel. And the Romans have collapsed. And Europe plunges into a dark period. And a new set of people rise up. The Umayyad. Or the people of the Ummah, the Muslims. The Caliphate. And they borrow a lot from Rome, but they also add in their own cultural elements. But they are just as wise, just as just, and just as obsessed with law and order. China, same thing. <clears throat> then there's the rise of Japan, but the problem is Japan never leaves the island. So moving forward, a couple hundred years, the Muslims have fallen and collapsed and have largely lost most of their control over Africa and Spain. And you have the Ottomans. And they, too, have the same thing. Law and order, relaxation, as well as an obsession with the law. That people will be adjudicated justly. Fast forward a couple hundred years, and the Ottomans are on the decline. <clears throat> but they're still holding strong. However, something happens in North America. All the nations want to take it over. So you have France, England, and Spain. And they've come out of the Renaissance with supreme power. They no longer need the Ottomans for any sort of economic control. And so the Ottoman Empire begins to crumble financially and begin to lose ground. The Balkans Christianize, except for pockets of Muslim resistance in places like Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, etc. But largely, the, the Christian kingdoms rise up, and they produce an economic and cultural miracle, to the point where the Middle East is actually no longer necessary economically, and they begin investing less in it. Move forward a couple hundred years, and now, England, Britain, and France 
sorry, Britain, France, and Spain are being supplanted by a new world order, the United States of America in its infancy, coming out of a civil war. And it too has adopted the same strategy of law and order, let everyone do what they want, just pay taxes, just like the Romans did before them. <clears throat> and America becomes supreme. Through two world wars, the Ottomans disappear, and the Chinese are relegated to second status under British rule. The Russians have shown up because they finally got their act together. And you enter into the new world order, which is the United States, Russia, and Japan. I mean, Russia and China. The problem is China is largely an agrarian manufacturing base and Russia is completely reliant on an ill-thought-through economic model, socialism, and it collapses, which leaves just America and China on the world stage. Eventually, enough of America becomes so tired of the Chinese that they elect a man who will put China on the back foot. And so America begins to test Chinese leadership as well as power. The question is, what makes a culture superior to another? Largely, it is an economic and social model that encourages people to go out and do what they want as they want to do it, <clears throat> while at the same time maintaining control over those people. This has happened in China, Russia, and the United States. Just enough control to let people know who's boss, but enough hands-off to let them go and do what they're going to do. Because as we found out with the Russians, you can't control an economy. And the Chinese learned that lesson real quick. Dong Xiaoping made very quick work of that. He wanted to make sure that China wouldn't make the same mistake that Russia did, that every five years we'll have a plan. Dong just said, this is where China wants to go every five years, and if anyone wants to join us, they'll be rewarded. And China spent a lot of money rewarding people for going along with the plan. But the plan wasn't focused so much on giving money to the workers so much as building state power, which is what the Russians completely missed. While the Russians were busy building a giant bureaucracy, the Chinese were busy building bureaucracies all over the country. Not trying to centralize power in Beijing, but to centralize economic power in multiple cities and allowing people underneath their control a little bit of free reign to go make some money. As long as it's within a set criteria, you can go out and make that money. Russia didn't do that. Russia wanted every dime. China didn't do that. China said, you'll give us 80% or you'll give us 80% influence. We either want 80% of your money or 80% of control. And each city accordingly worked with them so that you could choose whether or not to let the government control your company or you just give them a majority of the earnings. This incentive plays to both sides of the human brain. On the right-hand side of the brain, you have the creatives who just want to go out there and make their money, and they'll just give some of it up to the government. But on the left-hand side, you've got your more structured people who'd rather just give up control of their company to the government and keep most of the money. And so that plays to both sides. 
which allows China to become the economic powerhouse that it is today. The United States was more like, go forth and be merry. Just pay your taxes. And that is also a strong economic model. Meanwhile, the nations of Europe got so caught up that if we should give everyone what they want, that they largely receded into their own territories and are largely forgettable countries today, other than a tourist spot. When was the last time France did anything on the world stage that was largely rememberable? Nothing. Spain? They don't even have a government. Greece? A shit show. Germany? They're all hard at work, but Germany is the only thing running the European Union at this point. Where's Russia? Collapsed. They're still, they, they still can't even afford to build an aircraft carrier. China? Trying to build an aircraft carrier, but they don't know how to. And the United States is thwarting their every chance to steal our ideas because the Chinese are lazy. They'd rather just steal American designs rather than actually designing their own. And so largely, one country stands above them all. What country makes all the movies that most people watch? The United States. What country has the largest navy? The United States. What country has the largest army? North Korea. But then again, the United States could wipe the floor with North Korea. So what good is a large army? <clears throat> what country has the best technology? The United States. Where are all the technology companies? United States and Korea and Japan, all U.S. allies. Japan, U.S. ally, Korea, U.S. ally, U.S.A., well, it's U.S.A. So when you look at the hard facts, the superior culture and the superior nation is the United States. Where's the Russian iPhone? There is none. Where is the Russian Android? There is none. Why? Because Android's an American product, and so is the iPhone. Samsung, South Korea, American ally. Um, Sony PlayStation, Japanese product, American ally. Microsoft Xbox, Microsoft, it's an American company. Microsoft Windows, the most used operating system on the planet, American, American company. Your Samsung fridge, South Korean company, American ally. Netflix, American company. Google, American company. Amazon, American company. Do I just need to keep going down the list? All of the superior products on the, pro on the market today are from America. And if you disagree, then we'll just go here to Wikipedia. The top 10 richest companies in the world. Number one, Walmart. Actually, we're going to stop. I want to get... Um, I want to get Forbes, American company. Named after an American man. List of largest companies by revenue. Walmart, American. Sinopec, China. Royal Dutch Shell, 
Netherlands, United Kingdom, which are both American friends. One of them is an English-speaking country. China National Petroleum, China. State Grid, China. Saudi Aramco, Saudi Arabia. So, not in neither camp. BP, United Kingdom. ExxonMobil, United States. Volkswagen, Germany, that's a U.S. ally. Toyota, Japan, U.S. ally. Toyota, Japan, U.S. ally. Seven to three, seven of the most wealthy companies in the world are either American or part of the American-European friendship. They're Western. Only three are Chinese. Well, two are Chinese. Three are Chinese. One is Saudi Arabia. And we threw out Saudi Arabia because they are not aligned to the east-west. They're in the Middle East. So the top ten. There you go. And then again, Saudi Arabia is more friendly to the United States than it is to China. So that's seven for the Western world and three for China. And then you go down the list. Apple in the next ten. Apple, Berkshire Hathaway, Amazon, United Health, Samsung Electronics, Glencore, McKesson, Daimler, CVS Health, Total, not a single Chinese company. Until you get to the 20s, where China has the China State Construction. After that, <clears throat> the only other ones are ICBC and Foxconn, Taiwan and China. So, there you go. That means the Western world has a superior culture. Why? Because out of the first 30, only about six belong to Eastern nations controlled by China. Which means that 24 out of 30 divide by 3, 8 out of 10. But yeah, communism is a far better system.